Hi, everybody. The second episode of how my past podcast guests have navigated COVID-19 is now live. This episode includes Maureen Duran of Skirt Boutique, Liz Finnegan of LSF Pilates in Wayne, Christine and Nick Condra of Cornerstone Restaurant located in Wayne, Alexa Buckley of Margot Shoes, and Joanne Cloak of Jovit Apparel. I had so much fun reconnecting with these past guests, and I continue to be blown away by their resiliency and creative responses to COVID-19. And just a reminder of how these interview series work. So each interview is around 20 to 25 minutes long. I then combined these shorter style interviews into a total of three episodes. The first episode went live on January 5th, 2021 and included Margie Walters Adzik of Addison Bay, Laura Vanderkam, a time management expert, Lisey Lurch of Lisey Lurch Jewelry, Neely and Chloe Birch of Neely and Chloe, and Dr. Foote of Foot Orthodontics. If you haven't tuned into that episode, definitely do so. They were all amazing. I also have additional interviews lined up with past podcast guests that I that I am combining into a third episode, which will be released over the next couple of months, and I can't wait to share that. So my first interview is with my friend Maureen Duran, the founder of Skirt Boutique, which she founded almost 20 years ago. Here's Maureen. So welcome, Maureen, back to the podcast. So excited to have you here again. And, Thank you so much. Um, a couple nights ago, I actually re-listened to our first podcast that we recorded in December of 2018, which is crazy that it's been a full oh few gosh. years. And yes. a lot of people actually still come up and tell me how much they love that interview. And I really cool. loved it too, re-listening to it. It was really, it was fun to do that. And then in that interview, you tell us a story about how you were living in New York City, but then once 9-11 hit, you realized that life was short and you wanted to move back home to be closer to your family and your boyfriend at the, t- at the time, and you had this brilliant idea to open a retail boutique store. And just so listeners know, I thought this was so interesting. Um, September 11th obviously happened in 2001, and then in December of 2011, three months later, Skirt opened, right? Is that true? That's right. That yep. time span. Two, December of 2001, three months after 9-11. I, I'm a quick start. <laughs> I, when I have an idea, I, I don't delay. I make it happen. Yeah. So I, three months after that, I opened the store. And what was really cool about your journey is that you started from literally nothing at the age of 24. I think you were 24. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And you explain how you wanted to come to a place every day where you love what you did with the people, uh, with people you love to work with. And that's exactly what you did. You took the risk, open skirt, and it was a labor of love. You said your dad and brother, you know, helped you paint and construct the space. You wrote a business plan from the book, business plan for dummies. Um, and you were, <laughs> you were <That's> true. <laughs> and you were off to the races. So fast forward almost 20 years, which is so crazy. Skirt is now an established clothing store in Bryn Mawr, Pennsylvania, and you have a tremendously loyal customer base. So here we are today. It's Tuesday, November 17th, about eight months into this pandemic and things are changing on a daily basis. <laughs> yes. But before we dive into the pandemic and the effect it's had on your business, would love for you to provide the listeners with a little bit of background on, you know, what Skirt is and how it has evolved over the past almost 20 years. Sure. Um, uh, so I opened December 1st, 2001, and I um, was a small space women's clothing. I, I grew up in the area, the suburbs of Philadelphia, but mm-hmm. had been living in New York. And I just saw a um, opportunity of some great designers that I loved and shopped while living in New York City that weren't available um, in the area. So I really wanted to bring those to my friends um, and and the women of the main line. Mm-hmm. So I 
um, opened the store, you know, a lot of times now that I've had time to reflect or I've, you know, read a lot of business books and things like that now over the years, people always ask, like, you've got to think about, like, what's your why? Mm-hmm. Why do you, and, and thinking back, really, if I'm really honest with myself, it's not about, you know, because I was this obsessive fashionista and I, or I love to draw and I was like, you know, sewing clothes for my dolls from the time I was four years old. That's right. If I'm honest, that's none of that. It's true. Did I read Vogue? Yes. Did I love clothes? Yes. But what really pushed me to do this Mm -hmm. was that I wanted to create a space for myself, a a work life for myself Mm -hmm. that I loved as much as my off time, that my off time of work and my on time weren't constantly competing with themselves that I hated going to work and all I wanted to do was get home. That felt like no way to live for me. So I couldn't find it in the, in, in any traditional job. So I decided I was going to create it for myself. Mm -hmm. And since then it has been my mission to create that same thing for everyone who works for me. Yeah. I love it. That's my why. That's my why. Um, and it's true. The people you've hired too, I feel like are, um, you know, so amazing too. You know, they also seem like they love to do what they do and coming in every day is what I've seen. I had someone, I had someone come work for me recently, a couple years ago. And she said when she interviewed and she got, she was interviewing and we do kind of a long interview process. She was talking, she got to meet a couple of the people and was talking to them. And she, someone, a couple of them kind of mentioned in passing just offhandedly that they don't like they hadn't, it was a, towards the end of the year. It was like December mm-hmm. and they hadn't, they hadn't used all their vacation time. Right. Um, and I, I, you know, they were going to get paid out for their unused vacation time. And she was thinking, what? Like she'd come from working in a, um, a, from, for a big box retailer department store. And she thought like, I've been doing this a long time and people usually like use, can't wait to use their vacation days. Like their vacation time gets used, gets used up so quickly. What kind of company is this that people don't use all of their vacation time? Right, right, right. <laughs> and that is what she said made her think. Like I got to go to work for this place. Like what's going on? There? Yeah. So that was a, that was a huge compliment. I love that, and um, it's so true. Like my sisters and I, you know, we used to go to Saks every you know Christmas uh, as a little yeah. shopping trip. Um, but just last year we decided, um, let's switch and go to skirt because Saks was sort of always a wild card. We never knew what we were going to get, but with skirt, we know it wouldn't be a waste of time. We know we love the product. We know we love the people that work there and it turned out to be a success. So it's sort of, you know, you know what you're getting and it's a testament to you guys. You guys have really built a really loyal customer base over the past 20 years. Um, so, okay. So obviously we all know we're living through COVID right now. Um, so when it hit in early March, what did those first couple of weeks look like for you guys? Um, it was super scary. Um, and I had to work really hard to panic in private and not in front of my team. Mm Um, I, and that was really hard because mm-hmm. I love my team and I, they're like family to me and I, they're like friends to me. And mm-hmm. I had to like put on my like leader hat okay. sometimes and say like, it's all going to be okay. We, we are going to get through this, mm-hmm. it's, you know? And, um, that was a challenge right. because 
you know, they're my friends. So sometimes I wanted them to be my shoulder to cry on. And I knew I couldn't do that. Mm -hmm. I knew I had to be strong and stay positive so that they could stay strong Mm -hmm. and and feel positive. And I also had to make some decisions that I knew were going to be unpopular with them at first that they weren't going to understand and, but that I knew in my gut were the best decisions for the business and were going to be the right decisions long-term for, for everyone who worked for me. And mm-hmm. that was really hard too. Okay. Um, so the, so the, the store had to shut down, right? For the first. Yes. Okay. Yes. So how, how many months um, right away? Down? So right away. Yeah. So right away early on in Montgomery County, even before my Philadelphia store, we were like, before they mandated and a few days before the mandate, we started saying like, okay, I think it's time to shut down. I mean, there was like posts popping up on social media, like bad mouthing you if you were still open. Mm -hmm. It was a scary time. Like it was like, nobody knew what to do. So Mm -hmm. we closed by March 15th, all stores were closed Okay, and we had no website. We had, you know, no we had no other way to really do business except that we did have this like box service that okay. I had always done. Um, but at that point we didn't, I didn't even really want my team to feel like they had to leave their homes. So right. we, we took a few days to just, you know, pause and collect ourselves. Right. And the box service, what was that again? So it's called style box. Okay. We developed it, um, probably close to like eight years ago now. Um, okay. And it's a consignment service, so we work really closely with anyone who signs up to get to know them over the phone or through pictures or through text. And our stylist, just if they would do, if they, if you're working with them in store, can select pieces for you, create outfits that they then put together inside the box, outfit by outfit, inside a box for you, and like attached little notes like wear this with this and mix and match it with this and you might have a great white blouse in your closet already so try it with that and send a box to your home you try it all on at home you pay nothing until you decide what you're going to keep send keep what you like send back the rest we only charge you when we get the box back and see what you've decided to keep got it okay so that was like the only service you guys were providing during the initial shutdown up until this point it was a tiny point part of the business right. not that many people used it okay got it um so that's what you sort of turned to when it was initially shut down mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. then when when did it reopen when were you guys allowed to i'm trying to remember the month back. june 5th i believe it was june 5th if memory serves okay so right. from march 15th you know all the way to june 5th that was really the <clears> only <throat> service yep okay well, we propped up a little website somewhere late in there, uh, like, I guess in May, maybe that okay. we were able to get some of our goods, okay. um, a, a small kind of makeshift website. Okay. So it was, you know, not that pretty, but it, it enabled me to like get some of the product that we owned on a website to sell from. Um, it wasn't something that I wanted to like shout from the rooftops that I was like proud of. But it did the job. Right. Exactly. And then today, fast forward a little bit, you know, eight months later, um, I, I was just telling you before we started recording is that, you know, I've been on the website and it looks really great so far. So we ended up, um, after we propped up that website, once we reopened our doors June okay. 5th, mm-hmm. we ended up pausing the website a few weeks later because um, 
it was impossible to run both. Like mm-hmm. what people, I don't want to get into too much detail stuff, but, um, yeah. cause it might be boring, but, um, you know, what's hard to understand is when you have a brick and mortar store and you have a website, you're sharing the same inventory unless you really are willing to do this and like open a website that's like a fourth location and inventorying for it and having, you know, a totally separate entity. Right. When you open a website, you're sharing your inventory with all of your locations. So if someone's in the dressing room, trying on a pair of jeans and someone buys those pair of jeans on your website oh, at the same moment, okay. you're disappointing somebody. Right, right, And right. you'd be surprised at Murphy's Law how often that happens. Wow, okay. And I'm, you know, I don't carry um, a ton of the same product in the same time. We've always prided ourselves on, like, let's, you know, keep it tight and bring in new product often because we don't want you to see yourself coming and going down the street. We don't right. want your best friend buying the same jeans you just bought. So right. um, we don't go super deep okay. when we buy, buy these styles. So when we bring in a dress, we probably only bring in one one size of each. Got it. Um, okay. So um, it's a big challenge. This is why for 20 years when everyone says, you should have a website, you should have a website. And right. it seems like such an easy thing. Like, why haven't you had a website? Well, that's why. Okay. Because, Got it. Um, and I've always chosen to focus on our customers in the store. In the and, store. Yeah. you know, I, that's really what I felt like we did best. And that kind of client service is what I felt like was our, like, unparalleled thing that we could do better than anybody else. Got so it. Got it. Okay. once we reopened, we kind of had to pause the website because we couldn't handle the demand of both. So right. okay. it's taken from, I think we shut it down probably in, you know, July, August, we, we paused it. We said like, you know, please be patient. We'll be back soon or something like that. And we have been working tirelessly over the last couple months to figure out how we could do both without disappointing our web customers or our in-store customers, um, to the best of our ability. And so we just relaunched it a few days ago. Um, I think it was like November 14th or something. We we relaunched the website and we're going to do our best to try to, you know, figure out how to do both at the same time. Do both. Yeah. And then, um, as we know, everything's kind of changing on a daily basis right now. Again, it's November 17th. So if we go into shutdown again, it's kind of awesome now that you have that established website. Which is yeah, great. definitely. Creative response. Okay. It's, and this time that we, when we relaunched the website this time, it's much more robust. It has almost everything available in the store is available online. You know, just a better, more um, cohesive website with much more details. So I'm, I'm much more proud of this 2.0 version. Right, <laughs> right, website. right. It looks great too. Like I said, I was on there thank the other you, night. Thank you. Um, thank you. And then back two in- paper dolls and two paper dolls in Wayne. Another local business helped has oh. always helped us with everything from Vanessa, the owner, okay. um, and I launched our businesses around the same time, and we've always been friends, and um, she's always helped us with everything from branding, marketing, website, emails, so she's another wonderful female entrepreneur locally. Got it. That's awesome to know. Um, and then backing up a little bit, the summer months when everything started to slowly reopen, what did the summer look like? Was there still like a good amount of traffic coming through? Um, it was it was gangbusters when we first opened because I feel like people hadn't shopped. It was a warm, and they while they still wanted to be safe and shop and be careful, which we were making sure they did. We were you know religious about all the um, CDC standards, okay. and 
Um, they needed shorts, T-shirts, things that warm you needed for warm weather. Mm-hmm. And they hadn't really bought anything for three months. Okay. Um, so June was great. Um, July was strong. August got a little quiet. Okay. Because they kind of had what they needed. Right. And they weren't ready normally in August. Like, we would start to bring in fall products. Okay. For, like, the diehard fashionistas who want right. to shop early. But the chains of distribution were so messed up from my vendors that we couldn't even get fall products when we normally get it. Everything had been delayed by at least 30 days. So wow, product okay. that I would normally get in August, I couldn't get till September right. and trickle and, and, you know, so September became October, October became November and got and, it. And, okay. and then how did the other two locations do too? Just the listeners know, I know you had to shut yes. down Philadelphia, but, um, yeah. so we can talk so, about that a little um, bit. We opened Stone Harbor a little bit later. So Bryn Mawr opened on June 5th. Bryn Mawr and Philadelphia were both, um, plan to open on June 5th. Okay. But because of the situation in Philadelphia with um, everything going on with, um, you know, pro- some, you know, obviously we were in support of all of the peaceful processing that was going on, but then what happened with the rioting, which we totally can understand, mm-hmm. but unfortunately we it, it made it impossible for us to open our doors. Right. Um, we had some, some collateral damage. And so we had to delay our opening and we could not open on June 5th um, as planned. So, um, then New Jersey had stricter rules. So we opened, um, our New Jersey store in very late June. Okay. Um, in Stone Harbor, New Jersey. And we had a great strong season there. People were, crowded crowded at the beach so that was a great season there oh good and um you know over the months of the summer i deliberated a million ways and eventually um after much back and forth um decided not to reopen our philadelphia location okay so that was a super hard decision um you know i had a a great team of people that worked there. Right. Some of them I was able to bring over to the Bryn Mawr location, which was great. Um, and just a great community there. Right. Um, a, you know, a neighborhood of women who really loved having us there that I was really sad to, to, to leave. Right. I didn't want it any, I didn't want to, I didn't want anyone there to feel like I was abandoning the neighborhood at a, a really difficult time, but it just, I knew that I had to save the company as a whole and the best way to do that was to close that location. Right, right, right. Um, so within the past eight months, you've had to pivot a lot. You've had to make the difficult decision to close the Philadelphia location, and you've had to get really creative. So how did you maintain an optimistic attitude throughout throughout <laughs> everything? <laughs> um, I think that we did it by always just thinking, like, when everything first happened and we saw, like, yes it was devastating and I was scared for my employees I wanted I was you know I didn't want anyone to lose their job or not be able to pay their mortgage but I also saw how bigger other people's problems were right Um, right. with everything going on in the world first and the first thing we all saw was like frontline workers and the amazing work they were doing so the way I focused not on being scared about 
the company's livelihood was that we started giving away to frontline workers. So with every, uh, what I had at that moment was a tremendous, like we, what happened when we shut down was that we had filled two stores with a tremendous amount of inventory. March is, March is typically the company's one of the, the second highest revenue in the company. So you can imagine how much inventory my stores were filled with, right. with no no inkling that we were going to shut down. Right. So we suddenly oh. it's all we have all these goods they're paid for and we have no way to sell, sell them. Right. So I know that I'm about to take a huge loss. Like right. I just had to pay for these goods and eat them. Right. And that's what was keeping me up at night. I had yeah. nothing I could do about it. I paid for them. I I couldn't do anything about it. And I could just see these beautiful clothes sitting day after day in my store. And we were busting our butts trying to sell them. I was on on Facebook every day making videos. The the staff was like working from home, putting together these boxes, calling and texting their clients. And it was all working. Those were all great things. And we really sold more clothes than I ever thought we would with no stores open. Wow. But... But it still wasn't going to put a dent into how much inventory I had. Right, right, right. Not even, so I decided I'm just going to start giving it away. Right. And I'm going to give it away to these frontline workers. Okay. So we started saying anyone who orders a style box, for every style box ordered, I'm going to give away a style box wow, to a that's frontline amazing. worker. So instead of like – just looking at these stores filled with inventory, which was causing me so much anxiety, I started filling boxes and delivering them. My husband himself delivered them right. to drop them at the doorsteps of nurses and doctors that were going in to work every day during the, a time where it was so scary for them to go into yeah. work. And that, that, he would come home every day and be like, she wasn't there, but her mom was there watching her kids, and she started screaming when she saw the box Aww. at the door. She knew how happy she'd be, or you know, like that is what kept me positive. Yeah, that's and feeling. I, my dining room table became like, you know, we called it, you know, like my dining room table became the station that I filled these style boxes for these frontline workers, right. and their friends and and coworkers would nominate them, and we filled every single request. If every single healthline worker that got nominated by somebody got a box. Right. I love that. That's amazing. That definitely helped. And then, of course, when, you know, everything happened with Black Lives Matter Mm -hmm. movement, of course that helped put things into perspective perspective. for me. That all, you know, all of the advantages I have and have had my whole life. Right. You know, it helped remind me of that and just how much, um, how many, you know, gifts I've had to create this business and watch it thrive. And, you know, that helped to keep things in perspective and show me how much work I had to do, you know, to be better and to, to become, you know, I had, I have a lot of work to do and I'm still working on that, but that's that's another conversation. Yeah, yeah, for sure. No, that helps me definitely stay positive and keep things in perspective and realize that in the grand scheme of the world, my problems are small and I can, I could do this and I did do it and we came through like better than I ever could have imagined. Yeah. That's incredible. The giving back stuff is really cool. I never knew, I didn't know that you were doing that. That's really, really, really cool. Um, so were there any, I mean, we did talk about some of the silver linings, but 
Can you elaborate more on that? So in what ways did your company improve in unexpected ways that you never thought? The unexpected ways it improved is like just simplifying. Like we started saying somewhere along the lines, like we're going to do more with less. Right. So we're going to look at every expense. We're going to look at every thing we do and figure out how to do it less expensively, more simple. That's a, that's incorrect grammar. We're going to do it. We're going to do it. You know, we're just going to need to do more with less. And right. that is something that we're still doing, even though we're back open and thriving. And, um, you know, it's just something that I started out doing. Like you, like you mentioned, I opened the store with no money. Like right. I should not have made it through that first year, but I did because I just made something out of nothing right. month after month after month. Okay. And it brought me back to remembering like, okay, that's why you succeeded in the beginning. And that's how we're going to do this again. And it was a great, great reminder of that. And I did every job in the company again, which was really hard. And there, I've been lucky enough that like, I don't have to do the parts of, of the job that I hate anymore. Or I hadn't had to do those parts of the job that I hate anymore right. for the last several years. And I, you know, was thrust back into those jobs again, but it, it was a good reminder for me to, um, you know, just, just see how all, uh, everything from unpacking the boxes to, you know, the most important part of your marketing or your buying, it all is equally important. And right. being so in the in the thick of it was a good thing for the company. It was a good thing for me. Right. And um, just simplifying really, really was a great thing for, for the company. You know, we are going to be okay. And at that point, people are really going to want to throw some big parties. Definitely. And I <laughs> are really going to want to take off their sweatpants. Is there anything else that you want to share um, with the listeners, like where they can find you guys, anything that I you want to... I just do want to share that, like, I could, like the support of my clients mm -hmm. over the last year has been remarkable. Like, they just have, they really showed up for me, mm -hmm. and, and the support of my team. Mm -hmm. Like, that matters so much more to me than anything else. Like, that's something that came out of this, too. Like, mm -hmm. I just... We all, in, in life, in business, in, in all matters, like, we just all really need each other, and that's a gift yeah, that came out of this. For sure. Definitely. And like I was saying earlier, I think you guys have built a lot of trust with customers over the past almost 20 years. Like I said, my sisters and I, you know, we know when we go to Skirt in December, we're going to get the best service, there's going to be great product, and it's it's not a waste of time, which is, which is great, and we trust you guys. Yeah. So, yeah. Which yeah. is awesome. That means a lot. Trust is what we're we're after. Yeah, for sure. I love it. Um, okay, and everyone can find you guys. Obviously, your new website. Yes, um, please visit. And um, <laughs> and your Instagram account has been it was awesome too. You oh yeah, that's been on fire. We've been trying to add so much more content to it. Yeah. So that's been very pe people have really responded to that. It's great. Okay, perfect. Well, thanks, Marine. That was awesome. All right, thanks, Jeff. Next up is my interview with my good friend, Liz Finnegan-McKee, the founder of LSF Pilates, located right in Wayne, which she founded almost eight years ago. Here's Liz. 
So welcome, Liz, back to the podcast. So excited to have you here. And just to give the listeners a brief background, we've been friends since we were babies. So, and we've stayed friends ever since. And you were my third podcast interview out of 56 so far. So you're one of the very first people. Yeah. And we did that interview in the summer of 2017. So just over three years ago. And at that point, you would have been in business for, I think, around four years. And you had just gotten married to your now husband, Jared. Um, fast forward to now, it's Wednesday, November 18th. You've been married for, you know, just over three years. You've been in business for seven years, seven and a half years, I guess. So, yeah, it'll be eight years in February. Okay. And you have a baby, Griffin, who was born in May of 2019. So a lot of exciting milestones have happened since we last spoke. And as everyone knows, we're living through this COVID-19 pandemic. Some say another shutdown is looming. So as we were saying before we started recording, you know, taking it day by day. And a lot of businesses have had, small businesses have sadly had to shut their doors. And I think the fitness industry has been especially hit hard. Thankfully, LSF Pilates is still standing, which is so incredible. So before we dive into the effects that COVID-19 has had on your business, would love for you to tell us a little bit about what LSF Pilates is and how it's sort of evolved over the past almost eight years. So LSF is a small um, Pilates boutique fitness studio. Um, It is run by myself, and I have five other instructors, each with their own different background. Um, One of my instructors is a physical therapist, another um, an ice skating coach, another does functional range systems, which is all different types of like therapy. We all have different backgrounds basically. Mm-hmm. And, um, we offer a lot of one-on-ones and we also do have, do, do have group classes. Um, and how many people fit up into the group classes again? Six in a class. Okay. So we really, I mean, it's very different than going to a gym Pilates class. And a lot of times when people tell me that they have tried Pilates before, kind of like, okay, well, don't even think LSF Pilates is anything like what you have tried because we really are different. Um, it's mm-hmm. a different style of Pilates, more contemporary, more based on the needs of what our everyday lives, you know, the technology world, sitting mm-hmm. at a desk, um, um, what people need nowadays. Because um, when Pilates was originally developed, it was developed for the New York City Ballet. So Okay. If you're, if you're not flexible, you can still do Pilates at LSF Pilates. And um, we do a lot of, like, therapy, um, rehabbing injuries, stuff like that. Um, and we also have some trampoline classes. We, we're doing a couple virtual classes still, but, um, yeah, with this um, rise in numbers, um, we'll see what, what comes with um live classes but right now we are fully functioning live um with a couple virtual classes and um we're hoping to stay that way right. and you guys have all the high-end pilates equipment right we do um it's definitely the nicest on the market mm-hmm. um selling for way more than market price right now on the black market because everyone wants the um equipment that we have um in their homes now so oh, there's a long wait list for it from the manufacturer so okay um yeah it's balanced body it's really nice equipment and um everyone is always very pleased so and um, very lucky 
And I'll attest for you to that when you go to Elsa Pilates, you not only get a really incredible workout, every time I go there, I'm sore afterwards. You, you definitely work all different types of muscles, but then you also are such an expert at what you do. So not only have you been in business for almost eight years, but you've been an instructor for how many years now? Um, since 2009. Okay, which is really cool. So that's almost... No, 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 wait, that's not, that's a lie. 2005. 2005. Wow. <laughs> that's really cool. So if listeners haven't had a chance, um, they should definitely go back and listen to our first interview because you tell us all about your journey of starting out as instructor and then opening the studio, which is um, a really cool story. So, um, okay, so we're living in COVID-19. When it hit eight months ago in early March, what did those first couple of weeks look like for you? Did you guys, you had to shut down the studio, right? Through June, is it? Um, yes, through, um, I opened back up mid-July. Okay. So, um, I think mid or beginning of July, we were allowed to, but there were still some things I wanted to take care of, safety precautions. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, the first couple of weeks at first it was kind of, well, I, I definitely closed the doors before other studios did. I mean, okay. and there was just so many unknowns and I didn't want to put anyone at risk. I have a lot of elderly clients that come in for one-on-one sessions. So I think the lockdown lockdown was on a Monday and mm-hmm. we were, our last day was the Thursday before. Okay. Um, and obviously we all thought it would be like a two week thing. Okay. So at first I was kind of like, Oh, I get a nice little break from work because right. You know, I do work a lot of hours, so mm-hmm. um, it's kind of like, hmm, I'll be a stay-at-home mom for a little, but right. um, then I quickly, we quickly learned that, that two weeks was not going to be two weeks, and um, I did, I started to Zoom classes pretty soon after, okay. um, and, and especially private sessions, because those clients, um, they have regular time slots, and I thought, why not, so... I was doing the private sessions, and then I thought, you know what, there's all these other people, um, why don't I, so we start up the classes, so okay. I had two of my other instructors who were also doing um, Zoom classes and privates okay. for LSF, which was helpful, Okay. Um, yeah, and they were really, really great in the beginning, it was just nice seeing people face-to-face right. on the screen, it was very challenging. I definitely grew as an instructor because not being able to touch someone or, um, you know, and it's way harder to see through a screen. You yeah. have to use a lot of um, really good cueing, which um, I think the cues have gotten better. Um, right. And my eye has gotten better now okay. that especially now that I can be in the studio with a person. Um, but it definitely made me grow as an instructor, um, which was I'm always trying to look at the glass half full, but um, there were a lot of challenges, you know, having a baby at home, having my husband work from home as well, you know, trying to get better internet speed. Right. Um, And then luckily a couple weeks into it, lockdown, my younger sister who was taking care of Griffin a few days a week for me anyway, we had her move in and quarantine with us. So then I had a lot more flexibility. I didn't just have to teach when Griffin was napping. Right. Um, So that was really helpful in keeping things going for a long time. Right. So you guys did the virtuals up, I guess, through the middle of July, and then you guys reopened? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. 
Um, yeah, we started slow with the opening, but I, I did some improvements to the studio, improvements that I wanted to do, had been wanting to do anyway. I just okay. never wanted to close the business. I thought they would take like a week to do, but it got really, it. I got new floors put in, redid the bathroom. Amazing. Um, and I had an air scrubber system put in, which, you know, attaches into your HVAC unit and it oh, filters wow. the air with UV. UV filters um, and really saps everything as it goes through. So um, I really wanted to make sure that, you know, everything was put in place before we opened. I didn't want any, you know, anyone to start pointing fingers back at LSF. Um, right. and, and so far we've been good. Yeah. So everyone has, that has stepped in the studio has felt safe, okay. which um, really makes me feel good. Um, it's always been such a clean studio. That's right. always one of my number one things people say to me. So um, now you can imagine it's just immaculate, but, you know, you just never know with people. Right. Um, so, yeah, masks were always meant mandatory. And okay. I just find it hard to believe that some studios let you take your mask off. Right, right. Like, I was always big on masks, you know, before you come in. We do have a lot of different protocols we shortened the class times. I didn't want to raise the prices, but I did need more time in between sessions to right. clean. So we shortened the class times by, at first it was 10 minutes, but now it's only five minutes now that we kind of have everything down. We do the temperature checks. Okay. Um, but I, yeah, love, was, I love that you guys still did the, um, the renovations despite everything going on that you decided to invest in the, in the studio, which is awesome. Yeah, it was a tough decision. I mean, I had this toddler running around and, you know, um, I had to make a big decision. Do I just, you know, is this my calling to be, you know, maybe start something different or, you know, take some time to really um, spend time with Griffin or do I, you know, go back to teaching and see what happens, you know, yeah. with this whole thing. There were still so many unknowns at that point, mm-hmm. and they were saying, you know, there was going to be another spike, which is obviously happening right now. Right, right. So I really thought hard, and LSF was my baby for seven years, seven and a half years at that point. So I just thought, you know what, I owe it to my clients. I owe it to myself, mm-hmm. and I put a lot of money into it when people weren't putting any, you know, and I just thought, I got to give it my all, and if I give it my all, that's what I've kind of always done, that's mm-hmm. how I started, I just kind of put everything I had into it, and, and, and it always grew, so mm-hmm. I put my all into it, and um, I think the improvements have really paid off, I mean, people come in and they do generally feel really safe, right. um, over the past almost eight years is um, what I love about your studio is that you've built such a loyal customer base. So I think that will help you through, you know, if there's another shutdown too. Like I was talking to you before we started recording, I interviewed Maureen from Skirt Boutique 
um, in Bryn Mawr yesterday. And one thing that she's built over the past 20 years is that loyal customer base, which has helped her get through this time. So, and I think that's a testament to you and Maureen, you know, that you're very good, both very good at what you do. So you've got through this time. Yeah. I mean, I do it for the clients. I love teaching, but you know, I love, I've always, I don't do it for the money because, you know, being a fitness instructor, you don't get paid that much, but I do, I, I love my clients. Um, and I, yeah, they are, they have been really supportive and it's so important to support your small businesses right now. Mm. Um, there's different articles online on how to support them, especially during the holidays now, Mm. you know, if you have a, I know it's harder to go shop online for some of the smaller boutique businesses, Mm -hmm. but, um, we're all doing our best to try to make it available. You can buy gift cards and, um, as Maureen was saying, she put a lot of money into her website. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I know it's probably easier to go on the Bloomingdale's website, but I'm trying to make it a big thing with my family, you know, mm-hmm. shop local, support right. your local businesses. Cause it really does break my heart. And whenever I see a closure, right. I mean, that could, that could be me. You never know what's going to come in the next few months. And, uh, you know, everyone's giving it their all, but, it's just so hard and now I mean to to make it this far and give it your all and then to have to shut down um so I'm really hoping things kind of you know we can stay open and at least do one-on-one sessions this winter Mm. and yet um everyone just needs to support their their favorite businesses and there is a um because, yeah, fitness studios have been hit the hardest compared okay. to all other, you know, bars and restaurants and everyone. Mm. So there is, it's a health and fitness, it's called the um, Health and Fitness Recovery Act. Okay. So and you I can f- Google it and sign it and, um, and get your local politicians to try to get it passed, um, extra recovery aid, because it's, yeah, it's, it's definitely not easy, but... Yeah. Um, I'll include a link too in the show notes that people can go to that, to that link for sure. Um, so there's been a lot of ups and downs over the past eight months. Um, so how did you keep an optimistic attitude during this time? I mean, uh, tequila, no, I'm just kidding. Um, my husband has been very supportive, Mm -hmm. um, just talking things out with him and, um, and actually a podcast that you did with Father Rob. Okay. I, have, I actually have listened to it a couple times because okay. there are certain parts of it that really just, it's like therapy kind of, you know, like right. you have to look at the big picture. You have to, you know, you have to get a little spiritual and just know that, you know, you can't control everything and, mm-hmm. you know, you got to breathe, you got to, just kind of keep moving forward and think positive because we are all in this together. And, right. um, yeah, oh, I good. Think those, those were, and, and getting escaping every once in a while, you know, to the beach was helpful. Right. I right. mean, you gotta kind of just, you can't overthink it. Cause really, I mean, it's trying to book out. I mean, with the schedule, I'm in charge of scheduling all these appointments and mm-hmm. classes and, you know, not only are clients dropping out, but fitness, I mean, my instructors are changing their schedules because their kids aren't in school. Right. And I mean, you can't even, 
plan more than a few days in advance. So, you know, just knowing, and I'm a big planner, so just knowing that there's nothing, you know, I need to know that I can't do anything about Mm -hmm. what's going to happen next week. And I just have to take it one day at a time. Right. But that Father Rob podcast was, was excellent. Oh, good. Listeners haven't heard it yet. It was in March. It was in March, right when the first shutdown happened. Um, and Liz, we talked about the, we talked about this a little bit throughout our conversation, but were there any silver linings? Did your company improve in certain unexpected ways? You mentioned that through the virtuals, you became a better instructor. Um, any other ways that you guys improved? Well, the studio looks beautiful. Yes. yes. I got all my improvements in that I've always wanted to do. Um, and it really just, so when I first opened, I definitely started small mm-hmm. and the business, let the business grow organically. I didn't mm-hmm. have a budget. I just kind of put in the small amount of money I had and I was just dedicated. And I, and at the time I didn't have any children. It makes a big difference. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I could put all my time into it and, um, all of a sudden I, you know, now I have a child and right. he's very reliant on me and a pandemic happened, something that you could never plan for. So, um, just going through like kind of hitting rock bottom and having complete in control of your business, mm-hmm. which a lot of people experience in the beginning. Um, there's so many unknowns. I never really had that to go through that discomfort. So okay. I think it makes you a stronger person and a mm-hmm. strongest, stronger business owner. Um, and, and it definitely, I have so much sympathy for all those working stay at home moms because mm-hmm. it's, I mean, I look at some people, some of my instructors that don't have kids and they're, you know, they're doing continuing education classes and right. all those things that I would love to do right now. But, right. you know, when I'm not teaching, I'm stepping aside and now I'm, I'm grabbing the baby and it's right. just, you know, everyone's just doing the best they can. And, um, yeah, it's a, definitely a challenge, but you know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. I just exactly. need to take it one day at a time. And, um, I am very grateful for all my, um, loyal clients who have stuck by me. Mm, great. Um, well, Liz, that was awesome. I think we covered everything and I'll make sure to include in the show notes, the link to your website, which looks awesome, by the way, it was on there last night. Thank um, you. and your Instagram account and Facebook, you guys do a good job on there as well. So, um, But yeah, that was great. Next up are my friends, Christine and Nick Hondra, the owners of Cornerstone Restaurant located right in Wayne, which they founded over five years ago. And it is by far my very favorite restaurant. Also, FYI, we recorded this interview back in October and it is now January. And although we are in the cold winter months, Christine and Nick have made Cornerstone a safe, fun, and very warm place to dine. I continue to be blown away by how creative they have been during this pandemic. Here, Nick and Christine. Welcome, Christine and Nick, to the podcast. So excited to have both of you back here. And just so the listeners know, we did our first interview back in December of 2018, so just about two years ago, which is crazy. It feels like yesterday. Um, you both did a really nice job in the interview telling the, the listeners the journey about opening Cornerstone. So. Just so listeners know, Christine, you spent 10 years in the corporate world and then took a leap of faith at age 30 to follow your passion. And you spent four years in Nantucket. Is that right? Four years? We did four seasons. Um, I had a uh, private chef business as well as had started my own 
regional CSA. Okay. So you started your own business up there and you also, most importantly, met Nick, your husband. Um, (laughs) And you guys also developed incredibly strong relationships with other chefs and farmers. And those relationships are now valuable assets to your continued success at Cornerstone today. Um, So after four years in Nantucket, you and Nick eventually moved back to Philly and took another leap of faith to open Cornerstone in 2015. And it's definitely one of my favorite restaurants, if not the best restaurant on the main line. Um, so, so today is Tuesday, November 3rd. It's election day. And we're also about seven months into this crazy COVID-19 pandemic. And so many small businesses have sadly had to shut their doors. But thankfully, Cornerstone is still open for business, which is remarkable. So given that you both are sort of in the ground zero of one of the industries, restaurant food service industry, being particularly hit hard by COVID-19, I really think that both of you will be able to provide the listeners with valuable insight and advice on how you're navigating uh, the challenges of COVID-19. But before we dive into COVID-19, would love for you guys to tell us a little bit more about what Cornerstone Restaurant is for the listeners that aren't familiar and how it has evolved over the past five years. Um, so it's been a five years as of October 9th is our first day. So it's crazy to think five years later, uh, this is where we are going through not only an expansion and a leap of faith in and of itself, going from a 14th seat BYOB, uh, to then becoming a 44th seat, um, full liquor license, full cocktail bar, um, wine, beer, everything, uh, you know, two and a half years later is that in and of itself is a, uh, a feat in the state of Pennsylvania going from, um, BYOB to Flickr, then, mm-hmm. uh, enduring a flood that same year in 2018, surviving through that. And now at year five, uh, now enduring a pandemic. And, um, we've really looked at it with the glass half full after, um, many of the lessons that we learned in mission critical, um, steps that were taken after our flood. Uh, I think that has helped us tremendously mentally as well as um, just from a business standpoint. Um, so a lot of the things that we've taken are, you know, really, I always say we're making a lemonade out of wood chips these days and, right. uh, you know, have learned so many critical things that have really helped us to push forward as a business and survive. And so that's interesting. So the flood that you guys experienced in 2018 so I guess the resilience you guys built during that um, event has helped you guys persevere through, through COVID-19? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, when, when you come back from vacation and, and find four feet of, of water in your basement uh, and, and flooded out your, your wine room, you, you kind of, you know, take stock of what's going on and, and how we had to pivot and move uh, and, and figure out what we were going to do and how to get it done uh, to, to keep the restaurant open, quite frankly, and, and, and to keep uh, our the, the staff that we had to, to keep them uh, still on the payroll. And, and that was something that we take a lot of pride in, is that right. even though we were down for a month, um, that, you know, from the beginning to the end of the flood to, to reopen, uh, we kept them all on kept them all on the payroll. So that was a, that was a nice thing and something we were, like I said, we're very proud of that that happened for us. That's amazing. And then going back a little bit too, when you guys first opened, how many um, people could you fit in the restaurant? And then how many people could you fit in the restaurant, you know, uh, pre-COVID-19, right before COVID hit? So we originally started with a 14-seat uh, okay. chef. Um, so the original side that most people, when you walk into the restaurant, that's the side you walk into. Okay. Uh, we quickly realized that um, that wasn't enough seats. 
Uh, we had a couple high top tables that uh, the people that sat there over the years uh, loved it. It was a little tight, but uh, people enjoyed it. Um, but then we quickly realized after within six, seven months of being open that we needed to expand. And if the uh, adjoining space next to us was available, we were uh, interested in taking that. And uh, uh, fortunately, uh, the, that company moved out and we, we overtook that space uh, two years into it. Okay. Um, so then COVID-19 hit, obviously, in early March. I think March 13th is the date that kind of sticks out in people's minds. So what did those first couple of weeks look like for you guys? Because you guys had to shut down completely, correct? Like not even takeout was allowed or was it at that point? No. no. Yeah, takeout okay. was allowed right from the very beginning. So it, it was it was pretty wild. Um, we knew exactly where we were when, um, when we got the news that they were shutting the state down uh, and shutting all dining restaurants in. We kind of had that, we kind of knew that was coming down the pipe. Uh, so we, we started ordering takeout containers the week before, bags, that type of stuff. And that very first Tuesday um, that we reopened, um, we were jamming. We were absolutely, the, the community was so supportive of us and, and we kept everyone on, on payroll. Uh, we kept everyone working. Uh, quite frankly, everyone was working right from the very beginning of, of takeout. Okay. And first two weeks were pretty wild to, to see the amount of food uh, that we were putting out as takeout, which we never really ever uh, dealt ever with. I mean, we're not really a, known for our takeout business. Right. Uh, we're not part of any of the delivery companies or any of that stuff. So it was uh, it was weird. It was, it was a little, um, you know, there, there was a couple of hiccups through, through that time. But uh, for the most part, looking back, we, we did pretty well um, to pivot and move to that. So they let you do takeout right away? key critical points during that was that we had already been set up and talking with a lot of different restaurateurs across the country and friends that are chefs is we've always done our holiday feast to go um and this will be year five that we're doing it and we do a ton of catering so we were in a position to know how to box everything label everything and those are some of i think the key critical points of doing takeout is uh, especially during a pandemic and COVID um, time where some everybody wanted normalcy. Okay. And I think you know, at one point we were um, we were the only ones supporting Island Creek Oysters, had over 600 oysters that we were selling unshucked a week, and people were buying shuckers and openers and, as I call them, cheater openers, and um, making life as normal as possible for them. So it's these things that, you know, it really do make a difference of labeling stuff and giving instructions and making it look as beautiful as you possibly can are, are really key things. Um, and as far as branding and the whole, your whole business. Right. Exactly. And then, so June 6th came around and they said outdoor dining was allowed, right? At that point, indoor dining was not correct. Correct. Okay. So how did you guys, um, adapt and respond to that new normal of business of shutting down everything inside and having everything outside? So I think one of the things that we did was we took advantage of all of, we have a lot of private space, uh, which we're fortunate that we do have private space right to the left of us where we took over downstairs where the uh, pizza shop used to be when we had the flood mm-hmm. two years ago, two and a half years ago. Um, we took over that space, added more seats outside, and then eventually in September added, we have a back private parking lot. Um, which most people don't know that we have uh, behind the building and um, we're advised to use that space. So we purchased a 20 by 40 tent and had it landscaped and spent a lot of time and money and investment into building what 
Nick and I decided in July was going to be the only option. Uh, we had been advised by our neurosurgeons with the foundation to not go inside and to really be as careful as possible. Okay. Something that we took. So we went to almost 76 seats outside. Yeah, wow. So, 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 yeah, the governor um, uh, in the state of Pennsylvania are not allowed any bar seats at all or, okay. or counter seats. So 44 of our seats inside, 24 of which is the chef's counter and our back bar. So we only have about 20 seats available for indoor dining. Um, we didn't really obviously design the restaurant <laughs> to think about COVID, you know, two and a half years ago. So right. it really didn't make sense for us to have three at best four tables in the building sure. to, to that it just doesn't you know it's not really worth it to us so so we so instead of doing that we decided to, to invest the money that we had and, and, and put the tent outside and, and do that okay so uh remind me one more time how many outdoor seats can you now do uh we have about 65 right now wow uh, yeah. That's incredible compared to the, the 20, the 44 that you would be able to do inside on a normal basis. Yeah. Okay. Wow. And just so listeners know too, and I'll, I'll include pictures when I do the posts and everything, you guys really did do an incredible job over the summertime with having the table set up on the sidewalk right outside in the patio. And then I went for the first time to the outdoor area in the tent that you guys just invested in, in September. And it's so cool. You almost feel like you're at like, um, like a wedding or something, but like a casual wedding with like the, the guitarist. It's very cool. <laughs> so I'm really amazed at how you guys were able to pivot so quickly um, and, and get that 10 up. And now correct me if I'm wrong though. Are you guys doing more business than you would usually be doing? I don't know if I, yeah, I would say in comparison to if we were inside, absolutely. Okay. Uh, again, we don't have bar service as of, uh, November 3rd, 2020. You still can, it is mandated. You cannot sit at a bar at all. Okay. Uh, even though it's being done, you are not allowed um, to do it. It is for the protection of everybody's health. Got it. Uh, okay. If you think about that, we would have about 10 to 12 seats, which a lot of people don't realize is um, the 50% capacity also includes all of your front of house. Okay. Uh, so that is what state mandate is right now. And um, so it, it's really afforded us a lot more seats. It's afforded uh, people being extremely um happy and understanding how cautious we are and they feel completely comfortable people come from all over from the city all over to um, dine with us which we're very lucky um and now we just included um five more fire pits and now we're doing movie nights on thursday nights and projecting movies onto the side of the building so we're really trying to make what is a really hard time for a lot of people right on uh, these counts are jumping um that to do it very safely, but to have some sort of normalcy. Yeah, for sure. Um, so you mentioned like the movie night. Were there any other things that you guys did to um, get creative to adapt and respond to this new normal of business? I think so. From movie night to you know what we've said is when can you build basically a pop up restaurant outside of your own and really try to embrace that. Right. Uh, so to doing, we did a night in Nantucket. We did um, for two nights. We did a. Oktoberfest for one night in October. We've got wine dinners coming up, um, being all safely, um, you know, practiced for dinner, but really trying to do theme nights with um, set menus and um, just doing really stuff that's a lot of fun. From um, we now have um, the Breakfast Club that are three different, you know, types of breakfast on the go. To, oh, that's cool. Um, that are all on the website. To, okay. 
um, you know, wine clubs, pairings, um, everything you could possibly think of. So we do a ton of takeout still. Right. Um, but it's every week we're trying to come up with something that's going to engage our guests and still have an experience of what a cornerstone experience would be. Yeah, I love it. And then um, over the past seven months, how did you guys maintain your optimistic attitude for getting through this difficult time? God, I'm <laughs> off the record, but no, I'm kidding. God, it, uh, you know, you, you just, you, it's Chrissy and I and, and uh, the, the staff, we have an amazing staff here. I, I can't stress it enough. Um, when, <clears throat> after two weeks of, of the of the pandemic being uh, going on in the state, um, we pretty much picked most of the staff out, uh, and uh, we were lucky enough to, to, to get the PPP loan okay. and staff. And so they were our delivery drivers, and they were doing PR for us at, at their house, and um, we, we kept it pretty tight. Marketing and Marketing. coming up with new um, streams of business, and um, we, we were very lucky. I, we had gotten, I got the loan within 48 hours and covered every single staff. Wow. So, it was pretty nice to have that and so the people that were working in the building was Christy and myself my sous chef uh, his wife who uh, doubles as our cheesemonger uh, our assistant manager and our, and our one dishwasher and we made a pact the six of us that we were pretty much going to quarantine uh, with ourselves and that was it and so they would either uh, we would go home or uh, and most of with five out of six of us all live within two blocks of the restaurant okay. so kept it pretty tight knit with us six um, to, to get us through because, you know, if, if, God forbid one of us does get it, then that, that kind of puts a huge monkey wrench in, into the restaurant. Right. You know, we can't really do that. So so we went through it. So, our, you know, the, the, the staff that wasn't here in the building, when they would come by and do deliveries, you know, they were anything they could do to help us. They were, you know, they were chopping at the bit to get back to work. You know, I mean, I think most people that were home for those two months was, was you know, start going stir crazy. Right. Um, but to see them and see the excitement on their face in any way they could help really helped us uh, get through it, you know, and, and, and being able to talk to them. Um, we had Zoom calls where we saw everybody's pets and their family and their uh-huh. kids would be on. And so we really tried to stay in touch with our staff. And we've always taken care of our staff, but um, everybody now more than ever is like family and has truly pulled together um, and we'll do almost anything for anyone right now. Yeah, that's amazing. And um, the weather right now, again, so listeners know it's November 3rd, uh, 2020. Um, it's, it's, it's not bad yet. You know, it's, it's supposed to be like the sixties this coming weekend. So how are your reservations on the weekends? Are you guys packed? I would imagine. We're not as packed as we obviously normally would be where we're turning about 50 people away. Right. Uh, that's a lot. But it's uh you know, it was 32 degrees this weekend, you know, and we had, you know, reservations and people were completely warm in the tent. And, oh, good. Um, everybody's really enjoying being able to be there. But again, as I said, of being safe. Right. Uh, and so that's, I think people have said, we do have such an incredible following um, and loyalty that, you know, they're like, I don't care if it's, you know, if I have to wear a parka every Friday and Saturday, we'll be here. Okay. So you guys, what are your feelings about the winter, obviously, when it does get colder? Because I guess that was a good test then. This past weekend was super cold in the 30s, and people still came out. So was that a little bit more promising than what you guys are thinking what the colder winter months will bring? Yeah, obviously, obviously we're, we're hoping for a mild winter. And, and, you know, 
me coming from Syracuse that I don't say that very often. I, I love the, the snow and the cold, but yeah, obviously this year, you know, we're, we're hoping that it's going to, you know, not get down to the teens or, or single digits. Um, but, but as Christine said, though, if you were down the 10 Saturday night at nine thirty, ten o'clock, when I went down there, uh, it was completely fine. It, yeah. it was very warm. I mean, sure, not going to wear t-shirt and shorts. Don't get me wrong, but. Right. You have a sweater on. You were completely fine being down there. It was, you know, once you walked out underneath from the tent and walked out, you know, from there, then yeah, it, it hits you pretty, you know, how cold it was. But right. underneath the tent, uh, it, and we still had three sides open. All the sides are. Yeah, we, we only put down one and a half sides um, by state law. That's all we're really allowed to do. Okay. Um, but it, it's a heat stays underneath it, and it, and it works out very well. So you know, we're we're, we're fortunate to, to have that going on for us right now. That's awesome. And then um, were there any silver linings to this pandemic? So has Cornerstone improved in certain unexpected ways? Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, we, we obviously, you know, we're, we're, we're constantly, you know, adjusting the, the you know, the, the thing that we realized going through this is that goalposts is constantly moving. You know, you don't know what, um, right. you know, the, the politics, what, what Dr. Wolf is doing or, or you know, any, anyone else. And obviously, you know, one day it's one thing, the next day it's another. So, you know, you, got, you constantly have to be moving on. So, so the silver linings uh, for Chrissy and myself personally was that, especially during the pandemic, we were home by 8.30 most nights and having dinner, which... Uh, we haven't done in 10 years. Yeah, wow. the restaurant industry knows that that doesn't really happen. You don't really get that opportunity. So um, when, when takeout was the only thing that was allowed, you would have to stop by 8 o'clock. So we would clean up and, like I said, we'd be home at 8.30 uh, having a late dinner, which was fantastic yeah. for us. So we didn't want to give it up when they reopened. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think also there were things that you start to then, we decided to be closed on Tuesdays, and we probably will never reopen on Tuesdays. Wow. Um, and it, unless we open another place. But I think that, you know, looking at the lifestyle and the craziness, and we did... Um, stay open the entire time and, you know, surviving and doing what we needed to do um, as a business and for our team as well. Um, but it allows us for that Tuesday to be closed. We can still have dinner with our families and everybody can come in here and prep on their own. And it's, we've started to realize the things that, you know, you get so crazy and nutty over and um, what is really needed to be stressed over and what is not and to really take a step back. And right. see from a business standpoint, um, some things that we didn't need to do, you know, and just eliminate it altogether. And then, um, you know, one of the other positives is people always knew that we were a wine shop, but it was never in the front of their mind. Okay. Uh, and so now, you know, we have just, we do so many, um, we have so many wine sales from a retail standpoint that you can buy anything on our menu, but I started to really bring in wines from 20 to $30 that are just absolutely fantastic wines to, you know, a $150 CAD that, you know, should be a lot more. Um, so that piece has, you know, from everything from takeout to go to a ton of corporate, um, gift baskets, a ton of, we now can ship wine across the country to, um, delivering wine in the beginning in the right, like first two or three weeks, I immediately got our wine transporter license. So I deliver wine and cheese baskets, um, to court from, you know, anywhere from right down the street to out to Harrisburg. Wow. That's amazing. Uh, so that's been a lot of fun. I do a ton of wine virtual tastings. Oh, cool. Um, corporate and from people from again across the country so that's something that's just we've really 
started to all of the lines of business that we said we weren't doing mm-hmm. um, or we said we've always wanted to get into like for example um, working with private jet companies and I like I used to do on Nantucket and right. that's another line of business that we've just started to get into very um, cool you know, um, and then Christina Nick, so, so the listeners know, um, your hours today are Wednesday through Sunday, just so uh, people tuning in so they can understand how they can get takeout and then what the hours are for dining. If you can kind of explain so, that as well. Yeah. We're open for lunch through dinner or lunch and dinner, uh, Wednesday through Saturday. We're okay. closed Sunday, Mondays and Tuesdays. Okay. We do, we do brunch Saturday mornings. From 10 to 2. From oh, 10 nice. To okay. Yeah. But, um, and we get, we get pretty busy for brunch. Um, and, and obviously lunch, we, we do we do quite a bit of takeout and, and, and what have you uh, for. And then Wednesday nights, uh, we have our, our house band, the 29ers, uh, who play, who've been playing here now for two and a half years. Oh, yeah, at least two years. Um, and every Wednesday night, they're down in the tent playing, and it, it's, it's four local guys, and okay. um, they're absolutely amazing. They, they've developed quite a following over the years, and we, we enjoy them a lot. Um, uh, and then they, their music is fantastic. Oh, awesome. And then, um, and for listeners that, you know, may, may not be that familiar with Cornerstone or didn't listen to our first interview, can you tell us how it's different from the other restaurants and how, you know, food-wise and everything? Uh, so the food, you know, it's, we're, we're definitely a French influence mm-hmm. uh, with a little bit of Italian and American thrown in there as well. Um, we designed the menu that if you want to come in and just get a burger and a beer, you can do that. Um, or if you want to come down and, 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 and sit and do a three course, um, do three courses, you're, you're mm. well to do that as well. So, you know, we don't want someone to have to, uh, to break the bank when they come in, but if they want to go all out, they can do that soon. Um, and Christian can talk more about the wines, but we got wines that uh, are a pretty, you know, extensive wine list that we have here. Yeah, so I think that a lot of we built a menu a lot of what we were used to and what how we want to eat when we go out to eat and um, there's been just really good uh, receptiveness to that um, where it is all about the quality of the food we bring in products from around the world um, we are known for our oyster program um, we are fortunate again as you had mentioned earlier on um, of having those relationships from Nantucket and bringing in right now this week starts Nantucket based olives mm-hmm. uh, we'll go you know for six, seven weeks, eight weeks, um, and that's it. And that's how short the season is. But it's um, just beautiful um, food that's going to be then paired with wine. And when I built the wine program, it really is focused on food and wine together. A lot of times, um, a lot of people have their uh, menu, and then the wine becomes an afterthought versus having it paired together, um, which is really a lot of fun. And we have glasses of wine from, you know, $13, $14 to $40 glasses of wine. Um, with about 30 to 35 by the glass and all different kinds of varietals. Right. And that's in that with our program that we have 3,000 bottles of wine, 480 selections. Um, we have some of the highest allocations in the state besides the Four Seasons and a um, place out in Pittsburgh. Oh, wow. And so that's something that, you know, is incredibly hard and that I'm incredibly proud of. And um, we've got a wine spectrum award for the first time in 2019 and then in 2020 we were bumped up to the second highest level for um our wine program with being a 44 seat restaurant and not um corporate wine program is really a big deal and um it excites me so much and it's just so much fun so a lot of also what i've been doing is um 
I hate the word consultation, but um, doing wine cellar um, consultation and having people, you know, say, okay, I want to, you know, I want to increase more French. I want to increase, and I tell anecdotal stories and choose wines for their cellar based upon what they tell me. Right, right, right. So cool. And and just to listeners know too, um, you know, I highly recommend trying out Cornerstone. I've gone with my girlfriends a bunch of times this past summer and fall, and we've always felt really safe. We've done the outdoor dining. Um, in the summertime and then we try the tent and it's just a really cool atmosphere and the food is really, really incredible. It's, it's, it's special. It's a treat. It definitely is. So, um, well guys, I think we covered everything. Is there anything else that you guys want to share with the listeners? Um, no, I think just uh, that we, we cover mostly everything (laughs) you can think of from doing catering to, um, we do rehearsal dinners, even COVID and do them very safely at private events and um, you know it can still be a lot of fun during all of this craziness that we're going through um, so again there's so much opportunity that we have from again corporate gift baskets to shipping stuff across the country to having an amazing dinner at home with girlfriends and us picking a menu and wines that are um, that really just fit the bill and fit for everybody very cool and I'm really impressed too by how you guys have um have pivoted during this time with, um, the outdoor dining and then the outdoor tent. I think, um, I think you guys have um, responded to everything, um, really well. So, um, props to you guys. I think both just of you. like going off of that step real quick. The one thing that I have said from the beginning is, and what Nick and I both learned is that from our first disaster that we had with the flood is that you can't too many people right now are looking right at their toes. They're not looking down the road. Okay. Um, and you've got to look far. You've got to look down the line. Right. Um, you can't just look at what's going on in this exact hour and moment. You've got to look at surviving months from now and look into August of 2021 and know that, you know, you can get there. Right. Um, I think that that's really important right now is to know that there's a future. Exactly. Um, so. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks, Christina, Nick. That was so much fun. No, thank you so much. We had a blast. Next up is my friend Alexa Buckley, the co-founder of Margo's Shoes. She founded the company right out of college in 2015 with her best friend, Sarah Pearson. Here's Alexa. Welcome back to the podcast, Alexa. So excited to have you here. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be back. And just so the listeners know, we did our first podcast interview exactly two years ago in November 2018, so time flies. And I just listened to that interview about a week ago, and I very much enjoyed listening to your journey of launching Margot. I forgot, you know, what a great job you did. So quick background for the listeners, um, and feel free to fill in the blanks, but during your senior year at Harvard, you and your friend Sarah came up with the idea of starting your own shoe company called Margot. And although you both were passionate about the idea, you both had already committed to jobs and venture capitalism and consulting. However, you both became inspired when you heard Cheryl Sandberg give the commencement speech at your graduation, which is so cool, by the way. Um, And Cheryl asked, what would you do if you weren't afraid? And that moment sparked the fire in you and Sarah to forgo your planned corporate jobs, take a risk, and dive headfirst into starting Margo. So in the spring of 2015, just a year after your graduation, you and Sarah successfully launched Margo. So you guys have been in business for just over five years now? Yeah. Congratulations. I feel like that's a big milestone for five years. Thank you. Which is awesome. Thank you. 
Um, and just so listeners know, today is Friday, November 13th, 2020, just about eight months into this crazy pandemic. But before we dive into how you and Sarah have, you know, both navigated COVID-19, would love for you to give the listeners a little bit more background on Margot and how it has evolved over the past five years. Yes. Uh, well, thank you again for having me back. Of course. I so love being on the first time, and I can't believe it's been two years yeah. since we last chatted. Um, and yeah, for, you know, the listeners, I think, um, you know, you said it perfectly. Sarah and I came up with this idea during our senior spring at Harvard, and it was really born out of this recognition that so often women have to choose between things that are comfortable and things that are stylish. And we felt like this was so apparent in footwear, where we saw women wearing a pair of shoes to get them somewhere and then shuffling each other pair when they arrive, mm-hmm. and having these, you know, racks of shoes under their desk or extra shoes in their drawer. And we had this real aha moment, which is that you know there was this was so outdated and so inconvenient and this paradigm of kind of comfort being unsexy and dowdy in fashion was so antiquated mm-hmm. and that, that deserved to be challenged and that women did deserve to have products and accessories um, that made them feel as beautiful as they do comfortable. And that was what inspired us to dive headfirst into building this brand, even though we really had no business doing it mm-hmm. um, and not go for it perfect jobs and that has remained the kind of north star of the business ever since and i think you know we have bobbed and weaved and evolved in ways that we could never have imagined especially in the last six months right um, you know with the world sort of turned upside down um but you know the kind of genesis and the heart and soul of the brand has remained the same which is to create products that empower women through their everyday lives by making them feel beautiful and comfortable and confident i love it and um that is what we're still doing today. And you guys are based out of New York City, right? Correct. We're based exactly. in New York. Um, we have an office in Chelsea, mm-hmm. and we have um, our flagship store on Blinker Street in the West Village. Okay. And then, and just a listeners know too, I love my Margaret shoes. I live in them. No. I have um, the one of the flats. I forget which one. I forget what it's called. But um, they're so comfortable and they're just so easy and um, and yes, yeah, so I'll definitely include links oh, to that, of course. Yeah. Um, and so over the past five years, did you guys have any aha moments when you sort of knew you were onto something? Oh my goodness, yes. I think the journey of building a business is this sort of like roller coaster between aha and oh no. Right, <laughs> right. Time. Um, I think there have been several aha moments. Um, for me, I'm such a people person, and so. The, the most impactful aha moments have been really getting to see, you know, customers interact with a product in real time. Uh, we are a digital brand. You know, we will always be digital first. Um, so most of our business is happens online through our e-commerce store. Um, but when we've opened physical retail spaces in the form of pop-ups and stores in the past, I think the kind of demand for the product, the enthusiasm for the brand, and the excitement around the opening continues to always kind of stun me. And I just there's been so many moments of Sarah and I on our hands and knees fitting women for shoes in the opening days of, you know, moments like our Georgetown pop-up last October uh, where we had a line out the door. Wow. Uh, and, you know, women who had been waiting for, you know, a year to try the product uh, because they wanted to do it in person and knew exactly what size, exactly what color they wanted to try. And so for me, I think the biggest aha moments have, have happened in person okay. um, and have been, you know, given so much reason to what we're doing and why we're doing it. I love it. 
Um, okay, so as everyone knows, COVID-19 hit in early March. So what did those first couple of weeks look like for you guys? Oh, gosh, they were so um, disorienting, I think, as they were for everyone in the mm-hmm. entire world. Um, so, so frightening. Uh, but I think, you know, we were really lucky to have a super you know, focused uh, board, a super focused team, um, and really experienced advisors that we could lean on. And so we moved quickly and we acted fast. And, you know, for that, I'm proud of us. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the first kind of order of business was taking care of our team and making sure everyone was okay. We closed the office, people left the city, um, we closed our stores, and we immediately started making changes on everything we had just finished planning for the spring. Um, we slashed budgets, um, we really reduced our operating expenses. And we thought a lot about, in the absence of, you know, physical interaction with our customers, and in the absence of opening three stores that we had almost signed leases on. Oh, wow. He's not committed to um, in LA, San Francisco, and DC. Wow. Um, you know, how we were going to create community in digital spaces. And that, I think, has been the most powerful learning of the last six months, and mm-hmm. it's something that this pandemic has forced us to learn how to do. And I think we're a much better business because of it. Um, but I, you know, those first three weeks were unbelievable for the world. Um, and felt like a constant all hands emergency phone call for Mm -hmm. many, many, many days in a row. Mm -hmm. Um, did you come, um, listeners know you are from Philadelphia, which is awesome. (laughs) Um, did you move back to Philadelphia to quarantine for the time? I did. I did. I was in Philadelphia, um, Just so the listeners know, too, um, your dad actually has office space um, in in Wayne, where I do the leasing in Wayne, Pennsylvania. So I've got to know him over the um, past yeah. you know seven months or so, and he's actually coming on the podcast. Um, I'm launching his episode on Monday, November sixteenth. Uh, but he is such like an incredible entrepreneur. So did you lean on him for gosh. advice at all? Because he's been through yeah. a lot of ups and downs. Oh my gosh, yes, he was our number one. Um, I think advisor and mentor, he always has been, but I think especially in this moment, Mm -hmm. uh, he has seen it all and he's ridden all kinds of roller coasters and he is so steady in the chaos and he he can think so clearly and he can see the bigger picture in in ways that when you're in the weeds of, um, you know, the like sounding of the alarms, it's so hard to do. And so he was um, a huge source of perspective and advice and strategy for both me and Sarah and I'm not quite sure how I would have navigated this without him um, and it was really fun to be in the same house so we were right. taking you know like Saturday morning calls together and he was um, he made himself available to so many entrepreneurs besides just me and Sarah and Amazing. that was pretty awesome to see and I think also a great reminder that this was and is such a collective experience and mm-hmm. seeing so many different businesses going through so many different iterations of the same thing was, um, comforting and inspiring, I think. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and just as listeners know too, he signed an office lease with us, you know, in the midst of, um, COVID in, in April, like mid April when everything was still shut down. So that almost shows that he's, you know, he's, he's looking forward that, you know, we will get through this, which was, you know, very positive for us, um, which was great. So did you, um, Alexa, a lot of the entrepreneurs I've interviewed had delays to their planned product launches. Did you guys experience that at all? Oh, yeah. So our factory is in Spain where everything is made okay. and they were kind of obviously most immediately impacted really before we all felt it in the United States. So um, they did close for some time. Uh, that said, we were extraordinarily lucky um, and if they knew they were going to close and we had a very, very close relationship with our factory and so they shipped out as much product as they could in the weeks before and the closure did not last that long. And so from a you know, production standpoint, we were okay. I think what was more difficult for us was that this spring, um, you know, we planned products, uh, content, and collections around a very different mm-hmm. um, universe. Right. So we had finally committed to, you know, more, you know, party shoes, more event dressing options for our customer that they had been begging us for, and we found ourselves in a very different world in which that wasn't. Was relevant and right. kind of stay at home where it was much more important and so in that first week we saw our slippers sell out immediately which was great but we didn't have enough time to kind of necessarily react oh interesting and the slippers the slippers sold out you said immediately oh wow um, and then we had all of these heels and we were you know set up for just a very different spring and so for that reason you know may and june were definitely the hardest months of this pandemic for us and the beauty of being direct to consumer amount that we could spend that time reacting um, and thinking really hard about what our customer needed and how those needs have evolved mm-hmm. and how they will continue to evolve and how we can kind of react and create a product mix that reflects that. And mm-hmm. I think it really went hand in hand with this exercise of building community in digital spaces because we had to be in conversation with our customer okay. to understand, you know, what she needs and um, why she needs it. And we've, as a result, created a lot of product. I'm not sure we would have imagined created in this calendar year and sort of the kind of development of a lot of new exciting product mm-hmm. that's coming in the next few weeks and months that um, will be a direct response to everything we learned from our customers this summer. Everything you learned, yeah. And um, what did you learn from the customers and what were they really looking for during, especially the summer months? Um, they were looking for... A, the same version of our value proposition, but just in much more casual ways. So they wanted to feel dressed and beautiful, right. um, but really comfortable, and they okay. were mostly at home. And so we, um, you know, the mule saved our business. We had a mule in the spring that became our number one seller for three months in a row. We wow. stocked it five times, and it continued to sell out. And so we decided we needed to respond to this demand and not ride the wave of one of the iterations of this, but really blow it out in the whole collection. And we did that and um, it became our strongest product after our signature little den ball arena. Um, We launched a flat sandal in response to the same need and that blew through immediately. So I don't think we know how high is that for that product. Amazing. Uh, And then we launched, um, or we worked on a bunch of things that have launched in the past few weeks and are launching next week. Okay. Um, that are really about this stay-at-home world. So we've launched a huge suite of slippers, um, mule slippers, ballerina slippers, a faux fur cozy slipper, yeah. um, 
and it's a whole suite of new mules and things that really deliver to this lifestyle that our customers living right now. Right. And it's still in line with what we do best. Yeah. Amazing. Um, and you've already talked about it a little bit, but what were some of the ways that you and your team, um, responded to sort of like the new normal of business mm-hmm. when COVID-19 hit? So, you know, how did you guys you know, function as a team over those couple months where you guys were all at home? Yeah. Uh, it's something that we're continuing to you know, think about and talk about as we realize that we're settling into new normal at large and this is not a temporary thing, but I think what we realized was most important was more fluid communication than ever before. And so me, Sarah, and our chief of staff had a morning call every single morning to digest the news, to understand how that impacted what we're doing today in a kind of more macro level, and then how we were going to share that news and those changes in strategy to the rest of the team. And every single morning, having the consistency of that was so helpful and important in what felt like a kind of constantly evolving universe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I think, you know, on top of that, finding ways to, um, continue that fluid communication with our entire team. So all meetings were on Zoom, so we have that face-to-face time. But also not making, you know, not creating Zoom fatigue with too many meetings that weren't productive. So right. also carving up time that was just team time, you know, the things that you miss having at the lunch table um, or the chit-chat that happens when you're having a cup of coffee. And so we've scheduled once a week um, for an hour on Wednesdays when we have time that, you know, we did a different activity every week for a while. Um, we did master classes together. We've done all kinds of things that were team bonding virtually, which was yeah. really fun. Uh, and I think continuing to figure out ways that we can make sure that we are taking care of our team first. Right. And then staying really in sync. Yeah. And then were there any ways, um, like how did you maintain an optimistic attitude over the past, you know, seven to eight months? Um, I, it's always difficult, but I think what we know and we believe is that in so many ways, we have never been in a stronger position as a business because mm-hmm. this moment has forced us to do so many of the things that when you're moving at you know, Mach 500 speed, you just don't slow down to do because right. slowing down is inconvenient and it's uncomfortable and you can just keep charging ahead. Mm-hmm. But, you know, eventually the things that you don't address do catch up with you. And so we've really taken this moment to clean house and think about everything from, you know, the email marketing platform we're using to... Um, the technology we're using for every single one of our customer service channels to the way that we think about the product development timeline of new products and how we can make it more sophisticated and including different voices um, from different parts of the business. Um, And we've taken a kind of top-down approach of how can we improve so many of the sort of moving pieces of our business that when we were moving as fast as we were in 2019, we didn't have time to. Mm -hmm. And in doing that, really kind of maintaining focus. And I think focus has been the absolute priority of the last six months, knowing that we won't be able to do everything as a very, you know, lean team in a difficult moment. But what we can do is set ourselves up to succeed as we continue to navigate through this and get out on the other side. And, you know, I think we will be a better business for this. We will be leaner, we'll be more efficient, um, and we will have much better product Mm -hmm. because we've been in communication with our customers So lots of silver linings that will come from this for sure. Um, so when did you guys go, um, go back to New York and, and when did the store on Bleecker street, uh, eventually reopen? 
the store on Bleecker Street opened right after Labor Day. Okay. And that was a really exciting moment to kind of go back to our city and um, like celebrate it after everything that New York went through. Mm. We are still virtual, so some people are in New York and some people aren't. Okay. Um, There's an office with a completely open floor plan. It's sort of hard to create all of the guidelines for distancing that right. are necessary. Um, and so we are still figuring that out. Um, but I think as a small team, we do benefit from the fact that we can be very efficient virtually together. Okay. And I've seen a lot of the efficiencies um, kind of add silver linings. Mm-hmm. And I think seeing things as silver linings is a choice in this moment. No, right. It's so difficult and there are so many things that are so hard. And I think the thing that is getting us through is making the choice to recognize the silver lining mm-hmm. and knowing that you know, we will get through this. Definitely, um, yeah. We just have to kind of keep our heads down. And what's the vibe like in New York City today? So again, to listeners know, it's um, November 13th. Um, so how's the traffic of like, are people shopping? Um, what is what is that like right now, like on Bleecker Street? Yeah, the, the energy is great. I think outdoor dining has been such a phenomenal addition to New York City. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so exciting and charming to see all of these restaurants spilling out into the streets of New York. I live in the West Village and so feels like every block is covered in restaurants. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, I think, good energy on the street, on Bleecker especially, is kind of, uh, people are living very locally in New York, so mm-hmm. um, the community that lives in the village is shopping in the village. Amazing. But I, yeah, um, and the shoppers are very intentional, you know, they're coming to the store for a very specific reason to try a specific shoe, and that means traffic isn't the volume that it looked like before the pandemic, but, mm-hmm. it, but it's a high quality customer. Right. Um, but I think we're taking it week by week. Yeah. I love that attitude. One last question too. So I took a look on your blog on the Margot website, which I'm really impressed about because I think blogs are very hard to stay consistent with. Um, just because I think a lot of times they get in the background, but you guys are awesome. I think you do like what, maybe two posts a week, maybe sometimes more. Two to five. It depends. Wow. That has been a great product of the pandemic. Our readership is up, uh, 1500%. Wow. And uh, we have an incredible director of communication uh, who came from the editorial world who leads it. Okay. And that's been a really fun place to uh, express all the things that the brand is outside of the product that we make and mm-hmm. kind of the women that we celebrate. And so that's been a huge focus for the last six months. So I really appreciate that. So one topic I saw you guys talk about, I think it was in July, you guys talked about the ins, outs, ups, and downs of finding and building confidence, which I thought was a really interesting yeah. blog. And I can add a, a link to the show notes. But a quote you had, you said, personally, almost all my confidence has come from failing or being knocked down and getting back up. When you're going through the darkest hour and you get back up, that's when you think, I've got this. I don't think there's any better builder of confidence than building a business because, because you become less afraid of getting knocked down. So do you think personally that you'll look back on this pandemic and you know, you'll see it as almost like a confidence builder? Oh, goodness, that's a great question. I hope so. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's hard to even recognize what we're going through, you know, collectively and individually right now. But right. I really do believe that. And I think, um, you know, so often when you're building a business, so many things go wrong before they go right. And in between, things that go right. And mm. um, knowing how to shake those things off and handle uh, the knockdowns is what, has certainly given me the most confidence. And so mm-hmm. I do think that looking back on this, what I hope to feel is like unbelievable pride and kind of how we handled it and the grit that it truly took to get right. through this. Right. Um, but how much better we are 
for having kind of gotten through it and being stronger and wiser and um, more agile because of it. Perfect. Um, well, Lex, I think you have covered everything. And I guess lastly, where can the listeners follow Margo? Where can they, they find all the product yeah. and all that good stuff? Yes, you can follow us um, on Instagram at MargoNY. Mm-hmm. And uh, our website is the MargoNY.com. And just want to thank you again, Seth, so much. Yeah. I really always enjoy chatting with you. And I'm so honored to be part of this group. Oh, perfect. Okay. Thanks, Lexa. Next up is my friend Joanne Cloak from Joe Fit Apparel, where they are most well-known for their incredible golf and tennis apparel, and they sell all types of athleisure products. She founded the company just over 10 years ago in 2009. Here's Joe. So Joe, welcome to the podcast. So excited to have you back on here. And for the listeners that do not know, you were my very first podcast guest. We did the interview in July of 2017, and then I launched a podcast in September of 2017. And I was super nervous. I don't know if you knew that or not, but you made it no, really I easy. Did not. <laughs> um, and then another quick background on us is that um, you know my full time job is in commercial real estate and leasing and sales in the greater Philadelphia area. And I was in charge of leasing this 300,000 square foot industrial building in Warminster, Pennsylvania, which is about you know an hour or so outside Philly. And we had this 30,000 square foot block of space left to lease. And it was pretty difficult to market because it didn't show that well, if you remember, Joe. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and we were about to give up and consider it quote unquote dead space, which is what an owner calls a leasable space, meaning we foresee that it will never get leased. But then Joe Fick came along and had this incredible vision and you and your team converted and transformed the space into a super cool and beautiful headquarters. And that was in 2015, I'm trying to remember. I think I think it was 2014 or 2015 because it was in the beginning it, of my career. Four, I got to say 14. 14. Okay. Yeah. So um, so yeah. So it was really fun for me too because it was the first larger deal I ever worked on, and you guys were great to work with, and we've stayed in touch ever since, which is awesome. Yes. Um, well, um, I had just come from a landlord. I had a five-year lease from another landlord mm-hmm. in Huntington Valley who was an absolute nightmare. And not only were you guys a pleasure to work with, but you continued to be supportive and there for us. I had never experienced anything like it. It was such a pleasure. Oh, thank you for saying that. That means a lot. Um, it was awesome. So back to Joe Fit, um, and just so the listeners know, today is Tuesday, December 1st. We're about almost nine months into this pandemic. But before we dive into the effects that COVID-19 has had on Joe Fit, can you give the listeners a little bit of background on what Joe Fit is, when you founded it, and how it has evolved over the years? Sure. Uh, Joe Fit was founded in 2007. I was a phys ed teacher. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was an avid golfer and tennis player and really frustrated with the way things fit. Um, I wanted comfortable, flattering, slimming apparel that I didn't have to fuss with. And, And at the time in 2007, there weren't a lot of options out there for golf and tennis apparel. Mm hmm. Uh, we now include athleisure apparel and just sort of lifestyle ready to wear stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but what we do is we use a couple little tricks that we call an optical delusion. 
And uh, we outfit women for whatever sport they play or for their life or for the gym or for just hanging out. And with our little optical delusion tricks, most people feel confident and and comfortable. I have a, a friend that used to say every time she puts on Joe Fit, she loses 15 pounds. I love it's it. Just, <laughs> there's a lot of little tricks, but uh, apparently a lot of women like it. It's yeah. going well. Um, so you guys were founded, you founded in 2007. So that's almost 14 years you guys have been in business. Yeah. Which is crazy. How about that? And yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll get into this more, but um, what within the past 13, 14 years, you guys have been in, and correct me if these statistics are wrong, but over 2,500 retail stores, country clubs, yeah. and it's your probably. flagship store in Jupiter? Yeah. Okay. So you guys, you know, are massive and... and have done so well. And for any listeners, um, definitely tune back into our first interview that we ever did because your story of how, you know, you left your teaching job and you were, I think like 43, 44. Yeah. I was not young. Yeah. And had, um, three kids and it's just a really inspiring story about how you launched Joe fit. I think at one point, um, what part of the story was this that I really loved? Oh, you were Googling like pattern makers in New York City and flying Ooh. to China. That's what yeah. happened, right? <laughs> Along the way. Yeah, the whole thing, when I look back at the whole thing, I was crazy. Mm-hmm. That was crazy to quit my job as a teacher and, and do this. But it's funny, so many people ask me, you know, should I start my own business? And I always say, only if you have a, a burning desire that you cannot live with Mm -hmm. if you don't I I just had to right it's and now 14 years later it's um my kids are grown and I I have one grandson oh you do I didn't know that oh so exciting such a pleasure yeah but um it is everything it to me it, it is my outlet for creativity Mm -hmm. it is my outlet for using my you know my math skills or any kind of intelligence I'm intelligence I might have had Mm -hmm. um but it is it's my lifeblood Mm -hmm. and it's everything I wear so I don't know what the hell I'd wear if I wasn't making it (laughs) same it's everything I wear on the golf course Oh, and, good. And to play tennis, too. So it's awesome. Um, so when COVID-19 hit in early March, what did those first couple of weeks look like for you and the Joe Fit team? Uh, my CFO is, is more of a CEO. Oh, more. Okay. Uh, but she, she operates the business. Mm-hmm. And I remember sitting in her office saying, we're going to get shut down. This is going to shut down. And she kept saying, no, it's not. No, it's not. I'm like, you wait. This is not going to go well. Right. So I had a really good inkling of how we could survive this before it happened, which Mm -hmm. helps. You know, I'm always thinking, you know, anybody who's a CEO, you're always future thinking. You're never you're never stuck in the forest. Mm-hmm. Um, but we had spent the last a good 18 months preparing to go direct to consumer. Okay. Um, as you know, online shopping was becoming a bigger thing. Not not as big for some brands, mm-hmm. for our brand as for others, because our consumers are older women. They usually have two homes. They play golf and tennis and 
they have the time and the money to travel and shop. Mm-hmm. Um, but 14 years later, um, they were 42 at the time, and now they're, you know, 56. Okay. So as the time goes on, I'm getting what women who have spent the last 10 years shopping online. So okay. my demographic is constantly changing. Okay. But or growing up right. and I, I knew that we had to go direct to consumer for two reasons. Our margins weren't good enough. Um, we needed a better margin, but I needed control of how I merchandise these goods. Mm-hmm. So when, when I was selling at wholesale, I would sit with a buyer and I merchandise the line and then they'd pick eight SKUs and those were the eight that they would buy. And the rest of the, collection I had 26 sales reps and the same thing was happening with them as it would with me with the big box accounts you know the reps would have their favorite SKUs and they push those SKUs okay and and there was several pieces that were never uh pre-booked and and we became cut to order too okay so we were no longer sitting on product that we couldn't sell we only made what we already pre-booked okay got um, it but by going direct to consumer now, I'm back in an inventory position where I have to guess what's going to sell. Right. Because by making in China, I have to pre-book seven months ahead. Wow. But also by going direct to consumer, I can sell a smaller collection that is merchandised the way I want to merchandise it. Right. So I'm the buyer now. Okay. I don't have to trust somebody else's um, taste. Right. To decide what they want to put on the floor. It's on my floor and it's going to be the way I want to merchandise it. And now instead of, you know, 32 pieces of collection, I can do 13. Right. So because we're going direct to consumer, we narrowed the offerings. And because we're going direct to consumer only in certain territories. Mm -hmm. So only... Southern California, Southern Florida, the Carolinas, and Chicago remain in wholesale. Okay. So it, my thinking is the rest of the country goes on vacation to those spots, and I want them to find Joe Fit when they're golfing or playing tennis or shopping. Sure, on okay. And then I will have a couple really nice accounts in Chicago still, plus I have big box accounts like PGA Tour Superstore and Golf Galaxy. Nice. Okay. Tennis Warehouse, Tennis Express, Midwest Sports. Those really brand us. Right. But the the nice resort business we have in the South is really our panache, right? That's giving us the feel we want. Right. 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 So not having 26 sales reps now eliminates big trade shows for me which is extremely costly. Mm -hmm. However, the money I'm saving on not selling as many goods at wholesale and selling more at retail, although my margin's larger, the cost of marketing direct to consumers is insane. Right. So my margin may not be uh, as good as you would think because we're in growth so we're pouring everything into digital marketing, Got it. direct mail c- catalogs, all of that stuff. But it looks and feels exactly the way we want to present it. Right. So we spent 18 months going into coronavirus 
even though we didn't know we were going into coronavirus, preparing for that. Okay. So you were already ahead uh, of it a little bit. We had planned this pivot for January of 2021. Okay. But we had to make this pivot in March okay. of 2020. So luckily, we had the digital partners. We had a new website. We had everything we needed. We had the collateral shot. We had our message. We had our plan. We had our projections, our POs, everything prepared mm -hmm. for this pivot. So we just pivoted. Um, in hindsight, it, was, uh, it wasn't that bad. Okay. Uh, you know, we lost probably half of our staff, which is heartbreaking. Right. Um, and they were there to support wholesale business that okay. we no longer need to support. Right. Except for those four reps that we have in those four key territories. And that's easy to support as okay. opposed to 26 reps. Right. So we have a smaller team. We have a really effective team. We have the sales we want. We're merchandising it the way we want. Our margin is slightly better. And I think our value as a business is better because as we build a direct-to-consumer business, our value is in who our consumers are and how many we have. Right. As opposed to accounts. Got it. That's so, a, that's so interesting. So you had planned for this in January 2021, the next month, but when COVID-19 hit, you guys pivoted quickly and got ahead of it nine months yeah. or so. Okay. Just damn lucky that was in the cards for us anyway. Right, right. You know? Yeah. Um, so what did it look like working-wise too? Did you guys keep your offices open or were you guys remote? How did that all work too? So... I was telling you before, Steph, and you know, uh, golf is seeing an incredible increase. Oh my in, gosh, crazy. In, yeah, the golf industry itself is just booming. And so is tennis because they're both social distancing sports. Mm -hmm. So that was damn lucky. So when we first shut down in March, all the clubs had shut down, the pro shops had shut down, but the courses were open. Right. You know, you could go out and play in your own private if you're a member, go play at the private clubs, sure. but you couldn't go buy a score. So our direct-to-consumer business boomed. Okay. But we had shut down the office. So now what do we do? Right. Um, our website's going great guns. I came in, put in headphones, and picked and packed for probably a month. Wow. And lost about eight pounds running around the warehouse and had <laughs> such a good time. I yeah. was in here with my dog, but I could only do that for a short time. Um, even after the first week, right. I had emptied the shelves and they needed to be restocked. And I can't lift those 60 pound boxes right. up four levels and I can't run the forklift. Mm -hmm. and so, um, we would have to alter who would come in the warehouse on those days because nobody wanted to be there when someone else was there. there. Right. Okay. So uh, one of our team members, Merv, he would come in, restock the shelves, take care of a lot of that business and pick and pack for that day. And then I'd come in the next day. And okay. then it got to the point where we started rotating days. So it wasn't just me all the time, but that, that might've been one of my favorite times in this business. Yeah. That was a fall. Yeah. <laughs> And Joe, how many people are um, at the company that work there now? So we were uh, some 
30 something and mm-hmm. now we're 14. Okay. Because of the pivot to direct to consumer mostly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Very nice. Yeah. And speaking of golf too, I was reading a couple articles last night about the major comeback it's had as, as a result of COVID. And they said yeah. it gave an unexpected jolt to a sport that had been, had been seeing a declining popularity. So a couple of the statistics I saw were um, golfers played 10 million more rounds in July of 2020 than they did in 2019, which is a 20% increase, which is crazy. And they're also saying that they're, it's uh, perhaps the most encouraging for industry analysts are all the new players who have either discovered the game or returned after a long layoff. So the National Golf Foundation estimates that the number of junior golfers, which are ages 6 to 17, could increase by 20% or 500,000 new golfers by year's end. And the number of new or returning golfers was up 20% as well. So it's just, it's wild. Um, but I, yeah. It, it, our big box accounts are chasing product, you know? Mm-hmm. So now all of a sudden, uh, what else can I buy? How soon can you get it to me? And they're opening more doors. Mm-hmm. So they're building these stores. They need more goods. And uh, it, we went from a position of, you know, trying to sell our goods to the buyers and beating the streets like every company does to no longer having all these reps to support and mm. trade shows to go out there and all the expense to add to that to a small team where plus our, our designs are better than they've ever been. So we're now a smaller, tighter team, but because golf has so, so much increase in popularity, we're so in demand right now. Mm-hmm. And That's it's, awesome. uh, yeah, it's, it's fun. Yeah, and I'm an example of that. I mean, I've played golf the past three years, but it really wasn't until May when they started opening back up the golf courses that, you know, there was nothing else to do. I wasn't traveling anymore. It was safe. It was fun. And yeah. um, it's really such a great sport. So I'm excited for that, too, because um, not only has it helped Joe fit as well, but, um, you know, it's such a great relationship builder. The amount of people I've met this past summer um, and done business with on the golf course, you know, they always say that you know, it always happened. I was like, always like, I don't know if that's ever going to happen to me. And then it did start happening, which was awesome. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? The people you meet. And, yes. and I always say you really get to know someone after 18 holes. Mm-hmm. You really, you really know, do. First nine, you behave yourself. And then the second nine, it slowly peels away the real person. And by 18 holes, you're, you're buddies. Definitely. Definitely. I've made yeah. a lot of good friends. And there's also some people that I've gotten to know where I don't ever want to play with them again. <laughs> <laughs> but for the most part, it's, it's, um, I, you get to meet a lot of great people too. Um, yeah. so one question I had for you is how did you maintain an optimistic attitude over the past nine months when it was sort of this craziness that was all happening? Um, I am an, a, a horrendous optimist mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, often delusional optimist. So it's pretty hard to get me down. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I can't explain. I knew that we had spent so much time on time and effort going direct to co- our consumer mm-hmm. at the same time as spending so much time and effort on design and really understanding what our consumers like and, and what sells and what doesn't want. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it just was literally perfect timing. And th- at the same time, we relaunched our tennis business where in the past we would um, 
give a half-hearted attempt at a tennis collection. Right. And it was never enough SKUs for a tennis team to buy because tennis teams in country club settings are a lot of women. You have all different levels Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, you might have 20 women on your team. So I needed more options. I needed to understand what they wanted and the kind of fabric they wanted and how they wanted the goods to perform. And I started playing a ton of tennis through this pandemic. Oh, wow. And luckily, my son-in-law picked up tennis during this pandemic. Mm -hmm. And every Saturday and Sunday morning, he calls me and says, what are you doing? You want to play? (laughs) I love it. It's such a pleasure. My daughter's playing a lot. But we reimagined and we are relaunching Joe Fit Tennis January 1st. Okay. So it's going to be a huge offering, lots of different tops, lots of different bottoms, in a lighter weight UPF 50 fabric, mm-hmm. very athletic, very feminine, very flattering, and something for every body. And I love it. I also started playing pickleball for the first time in my life. Holy smokes, is that fun. Is it fun? I need to try that. Oh, Steph, you're going to get so hooked. Yeah. <laughs> I, and my uh, son-in-law was also, my son, two sons and my son-in-law and my daughter were at my house in Florida. Mm-hmm. And I kept saying, you guys got to try this game. You're going to love it. And they were like, I never want to play it because that's all you talk about. Now I hate it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, oh, my dog's working. So, um they played and every morning and every night I'd wake up or I'd go to bed and they were at the pickleball courts under the lights. I oh, could I love not it. get enough. So fun. You're going to get so addicted. That's awesome. I love it. Um, so our tennis marketing too is pickleball as well. Okay. Very cool. And last question I have for you, and we've kind of talked about this already, um, but were there any silver linings? Did your company uh, improve in certain unexpected ways? A lot of ways. I mean, you know, we're leaner, mm-hmm. we're, we're more effective, more efficient. We're not wasting money. Um, our design team is on point. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have never had a, a better design team and, and better designs coming down the pike. But because it's smaller, it's more cohesive. Right. So there is zero drama. Mm-hmm. And, and, we all like each other. It's easy. It's mm-hmm. simple. I, it's fun. Awesome. I love it. And Joe, any last departing words for the listeners? And of course, where everyone can find you guys as well. So JoeFit.com. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I just really believe that every woman who doesn't think she can play golf needs to just play. Mm-hmm. I, I keep I keep telling my friends, you don't have to be good. You don't have to be mm-hmm. embarrassed. We all suck. Yeah, everyone does. Everybody sucks. Mm-hmm. And and just hit a ball because the one time you hit that thing so sweet, that's the shot that keeps you going back, whether it's tennis or golf or pickleball. Of, of course, it's yeah. Literally fun. It's time in your life and this this you know, two hundred and sixty seven thousand people dead. Mm-hmm. It really wakes you up. I, yeah. I was just telling you before this started, uh, you know, you used to think about, oh, what I wished I had and what I wanted. And right. now I think about what I'm so thankful that I have. Mm-hmm. Totally. Great. And, yeah. 
and so many sick people and so many people losing family members and their own lives. Mm-hmm. Have some fun. Yeah, agree. You know, totally. take a half day and go have fun. I totally agree. And like I said, you really do. It helps work-wise. Um, business yeah. purposes as well. And, um, and I was that person too. I was always very, very afraid of who I was going to play with. And, you know, I didn't know if I could keep up with them, but as long as you play fast and you pick up when you need to, it's so much fun. That's, that's uh, what I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's not about, uh, it's not about being competitive. It's mm-hmm. about getting outside and hitting a ball around in exactly. the grass. Yeah. It's so Running fun. around after a tennis ball. It's, it's freedom. Mm-hmm. hundred percent. And I think a lot of people have realized that during this pandemic, um, yeah. which is why it's had such a great comeback. Um, yeah. well, Joe, this was awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thanks, Dad. Thanks for thinking of me. Yeah. Hi everybody. Thank you so very much for taking the time to listen to high five success stories. To learn more about the podcast, feel free to follow me on Instagram. My handle is at High Five Success, or on Facebook, you can like High Five Success Stories with Steph Eden, or I'm also on Twitter. My handle is at High Five Hayden. And lastly, you can subscribe to the newsletter on my website, www.stephhayden.com. And if you get a second, I would really appreciate it if you could rate the podcast on iTunes. Thanks so much.